You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, my family and I had a, a, a great time uh, in Maine visiting her family, and that's kind of the way we roll. If you can do a little bit of family and a, quite a bit of fun on the side, then it works well. And it's okay, right? Grandparents for the bring the grandkids in and let the kids stay and knowing that they're just getting free room and board out for you while they go have fun. That's okay, right? Is that legit? Tell me it is. Then when I start having grandkids, I may not be so sure. I might start charging rent, you know, room and board or whatever. But as long as I'm on the receiving end, I'm happy about that. But anyway, we did we did some fun, climbed the mountain and had some of that fun along the way. But uh, as we were getting ready to leave yesterday, my, uh, my in-laws, my wife grew up near Bangor, Maine, if you know where that is, kind of halfway up in the state. And the front page with the headline was about a woman who worked for University of Maine. Think SUNY Albany, think U Albany, their version of U Albany, their Maine State College. In fact, that's where my wife and I met when we were in school. And a woman who worked in the bursar's office was caught uh, stealing money over a period of time, uh, skimming off you know, a thousand or two thousand dollars here and there as students would pay their room and board and pay their tuition fees. And I don't know that the amount was disclosed, but listening to is hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, it was interesting reading the article. Uh, they apparently couldn't find the money, you know. I mean, she's not driving around in a Cadillac or Ferrari and taking vacations to France or whatever. They couldn't find the money. They basically don't know what happened. And they determined that she was unable to pay all of that back. So they fined her $20,000. They thought that's what she could handle. And I think she got three years or so in, in jail for that. And, you know, I thought about that. And, you know, I'm sure that when she first did that first time, that there was something that she was justifying in her mind to do that. And I'm sure none of us, you know, we've all done dumb things that we'd be embarrassed about for people to know, shamed of all that kind of stuff. But... Somewhere along that line, she just continued down that trail, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't know who know, knew about it or who didn't, but I can only imagine the shock, the pain, the embarrassment as that began to come out. And I'm sure she ended up arrested and in, in jail and hearing the, the judge's sentence. She's probably thinking, how in the world did I get into this spot? You know, I knew better than than this. Uh, We're going to talk this morning about uh, something that is really important in life. I don't know that we hear it talked a lot about, but it's about accountability and about us as people living our life accountable. You see, all of life falls apart with accountability. Business falls apart without accountability. Government falls apart without accountability. Uh, everything. Families fall apart without accountability. There, there's nothing in life. You're, people die without accountability. I mean, that's why so many laws are put into place to protect workers. That's why there's so many rules. And without accountability, without there being, you know, that, that watching to make sure that everything is where it should be, everything begins to fall apart. Now, the funny thing is about accountability is we really don't like to receive it, right? I don't enjoy being held accountable for things. I don't like it. I, I, I don't like it at all. In fact, when I pulled up to the airport a couple weeks ago to drop my parents off, uh, as soon as I got out of the van, a person said, Driver, you're parked in the, whatever, the pedestrian walkway in a you know, big authority tone. And immediately inside, I'm like, lady, what is like... 
get off my back. I'm like, big deal, you know? <laughs> and that was my immediate response. And I, you know, dutifully didn't say anything. I just, yes, ma'am. And I backed it up, you know, and, and got where it was supposed to be safe. But none of us like being held accountable. But neither do we like, for the most part, holding other people accountable. At least, especially the ones that we love. Now, some of you guys love telling everybody off what to do. Like, we're good at that. Like, driving down the road, we'll, we'll make everybody accountable for all their mess-ups. I do it, too. Especially on 495, trying to get around Boston and stop and go traffic. I'm like, would you people just get out of the way? I want to got places to go. I was ready to hold everybody accountable but me on that one. We don't like to do that. We don't, we don't like to people that we love and that we care about, that we're friends with, we, if we're not careful, we avoid holding them accountable. And we get this a little messed up because we think, well, I love them too much. My mom was on a, a jury duty recently in Florida. She retired, and like the week after she retired, she got nailed for jury duty. And apparently in Florida, when you hit 70, you're off the hook. And she's like, really? I'm 70 in four weeks. Can I just, you know, fast forward and make this work? Long story short, a guy was arrested for, I think he was possession, or he had, you know, drug paraphernalia, or was two people in a car, and he had several priors in front of it. And she was on the jury, and they go back to deliberate and all. And it was a pretty airtight case, at least from her perspective. And... And as they deliberated for hours and hours, there were a couple of people, and especially one, who at the end just said, I can't send anybody to prison. He was uncomfortable holding somebody accountable. I don't know how the penal system works, but I thought, isn't there something messed up when right off the bat, <laughs> you know, the prosecutor never even had a chance if the guy in his mind had a decision made in his mind that he wasn't going to hold the guy accountable Accountability is critical for our life. Everything completely falls apart. So we're going to talk this morning about accountability being a gift, that God holds us accountable. God want, in turn wants us to be accountable to one another, to hold others accountable, and to receive that accountability. It's critical for our life. It's actually ultimately for our good, and I'll show you that here in just a minute. So turn with me if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read uh, probably about half the chapter. It's a short little chapter. Uh, challenging chapter, guys. I'll tell you this on the front end. As a pastor, there's so many things that I love, like every, every job. Hopefully the job that you have and the things that you're involved in and responsible for, hopefully there's a lot of it that you love and find rewarding. But all of us would agree there's parts of our jobs we don't like. Can we all agree to that? Like, you can have the most wonderful job in the world, but there's always things you don't like about it. Whether you're paid for that job or not, um, you know, you, you may have other responsibilities you don't get paid for. Stay-at-home mom, if that's your thing. You've got work to do. There's parts you like about that, and there's a part you can't stand about that. Um, and I, as a pastor, love ministry, and I love working with people. But you know the part that I have the hardest and I like the least is when we have to wade into accountability situations. And that's what Paul's digging into right now. So read with me if you would in chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says this. He's shifting gears in his whole, his whole book. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For man has his father's wife. 
Kind of shocking. Paul's been talking about wisdom and other stuff, and all of a sudden, just boom, he puts it right on the table. He's like, guys, i got to talk to you about this. This is shocking. You've got a guy in your church who is, we would say today, sleeping with his stepmother or his father's mistress. The word wife here could be woman, could be wife, depending on context. Just there was one word in Greek for that. And, and he's like, guys, this is not cool. This is bad. In fact, you've got a degree of stuff going on in your church that even people who deny the one true God and don't even follow him don't even do this. Like, what is going on? He's dealing, he's poking, and he's dealing with accountability. In verse 2, he says, and you're arrogant. He's like, ought you not rather to mourn? Bottom line, he just cuts to the chase. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Remove him. Paul said, I don't need to call a judge and a jury to investigate and find. This is out in the open. Everybody knows what's going on here. Remove the person. No questions asked. No deliberation. Deal with it. And now he's explaining and trying to prove why that's the right thing to do and, why, and the way that should be gone about. Read with me in verse 3. And then we'll talk about it. For though absent in body, Paul was away writing him a letter, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Paul says, I don't even have to be there. I've judged him from afar. I know what's going on. In verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, you're together as a church body under the authority of Jesus Christ, and I am with you as an apostle in spirit. Here's what you do in verse 5. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his, and here's why, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Pray with me, would you? Father, it is good to be back and to worship together as a church family this morning. And Lord, none of us in this room... Um, if we were to all talk and to be honest, we struggle with accountability, always giving it well, always receiving it well, not being too hard, too soft, but being on point and doing it with the right heart motivation. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not just learn about accountability with one another as a church, but Father, that, that the way we are to be one another, toward one another as a church family would spill over in every area of our life, whether uh, parents with children, whether children with parents, whether friends, co-workers. Father, help us to learn uh, from you and to follow and obey you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Shocking situation. Paul is shocked. And what's amazing to me, Paul doesn't say, I can't believe this is going on. Why is he doing this? This is so bizarre. This is crazy and insane. You know, if we at all look at the news of what's going on culturally and morally around us, it's, there's plenty of fodder. Find your thing to be shocked, right? Just like, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe they did that. And whatever. But you know what is amazing is Paul is not shocked about the sin, about the habit, like the craziness, the, the, the strangeness. What he says is, is, what I'm shocked is that you're actually prideful and arrogant about this thing, and you're not mourning as a church. 
Why would they be prideful about this? You know, maybe they had the attitude, and it wouldn't surprise me, but we don't know exactly why, but probably there's something like this. Hey, we are such a church of love and affirming here and of grace and of forgiveness that look at this. We've got a guy in our church who is, you know, living and accepting with his, his stepmom. We don't know if dad was alive or not, so we don't have a lot of all the background, but look. Even he can be forgiven and grace. And they were talking about this. And it was like out in the open and it was a source of pride for him. And Paul's like, guys, you ought to be more like at a funeral where you're mourning and grieving over this man's soul and over the state of affairs of life. Like this should be, this should be upsetting to you. Not vindictive, not angry at him, not judgmental at him, but you should be grieving. There should be a sadness in your heart that there is such a messed upness in, in his soul and this world that's in your church, it should break your heart literally grieving. Paul's shocked about that. He's holding the church accountable by dealing with it, and he's telling the church to in turn pass along that gift of accountability. I want us to notice first thing this morning, that accountability, healthy accountability, is a gift. It's a gift of love. We don't always see it that way. I didn't see when I pulled up to the airport that, that the woman that told me, hey, you've kind of broken our rules here. You need to back off. I didn't receive that as a wonderful gift in the moment, but it was. She was trying to take care of the pedestrians and make sure I don't hit anybody as I shouldn't and keep everything good, which I get it, you know. I get it. But when you and I are in, the, in that moment and somebody is, you know, pointing their finger at us, having a conversation with us, it's never fun but if they're doing it in the right heart and doing it in the right purpose, ultimately for our safety, for our good, and for the good of those around, it is a gift, and it's a gift of love. I want you to notice that there's three ways that this was a gift of love. First, Paul is saying, he says, guys, you need to love this guy enough to tell him this. Look what the purpose behind this is. He says in verse 5, you are to deliver this man to Satan, hand him over. For the destruction of the flesh, most likely his physical body, but certainly his sinful dealing with his, his sin um, tendencies and all of that. But here's why. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul, in essence, is being like the doctor in the emergency room. And he says, guys, we got a patient on the table. And the patient on the table is going into cardiac arrest. The monitors are going off. This patient is going to die without any hope. And you're over here obsessing over a little manicure. Like, what are you doing? You're, 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 you're playing around with this little scratch on his leg, a little bit of bleeding. And Paul is walking in like a trained doctor, trained physician saying, Oh my goodness, we've got to get to the root of this problem. This guy's going to die. Paul says, you need to hold him accountable because his soul is at stake. He's, he's about to be destroyed ultimately and eternally away from God in heaven. And he's going to be removed from that completely. You see, this is more than just him wanting to do what he wants to do and have a little fun or whatever. There is an eternity that is at stake here. There's a much bigger thing that is at play. In fact, that is a huge lesson for us to realize is, is you and I are going to live as accountable people and if we're going to give and to receive that accountability, we've got to understand a reality much bigger than what we normally do in life. When you and I don't want to give that accountability to others, 
We're not looking at reality. You know, we're saying, oh, they may not like me. I don't know if it's my place. I don't know if I, you know, I just really want to love them. I don't, you know. I assure you, if you're in a, a, a car accident and you're bleeding out on the table, the nurses and doctors aren't going to say, oh, I don't want to reset that bone because it might hurt a little bit. You know, I, I, I don't want to offend you if I've got to do a little bit of this. I mean, you're going to get manhandled. Am I right? I mean, you're, you're going to get twisted every which way. Why? Because they care about your life. They care about you making it through and doing whatever they got to do. If something needs to be amputated, guess what? Your arm's going to come off. Your leg's going to come off. Because it's better for you to have your life than to lose that. Paul is saying, guys, you're not loving this guy. You don't love him enough to help him to deal with this terminal condition of sin that is in his soul, and instead you're actually enabling him and celebrating this and letting this run forward. This isn't an issue of you being offended because there's sin. This isn't an issue of you playing like you're God or being judged or whatever. This is an issue of you being the doctor loving enough to say, oh my goodness, we got to help this guy out. He's a fish caught in a net that can't get loose and he is going down. He is going to die. Accountability is a gift of love. It's that first step of going to that next person and saying, there's something more at stake here that you don't realize. If you and I saw a, a child playing in traffic, I hope this would never happen, but someone playing, a child playing in traffic and the parent or the guardian standing there and just smiling and waving or whatever, I mean, I mean cars going back and forth. I mean, we wouldn't turn around and like ask for permission. We would do something, right? At least say something, if not go out and grab the kid. And then we'd be thinking, do I need to call Child Protective Services? Like, what do I got to do? There's something wrong here with this picture. This is the stake that we're talking about. You and I, if we're not careful, we live like so many people do. And we just, we just kind of go through life and not seeing the, the bigger picture. So love. Love others to speak into that accountability. That accountability is a gift of love to them. It's a it's a gift of love to the bigger church body. Paul's writing to a church. And today there's many confusions about what a church is all about. And he's writing to a local body, a church gathered together with a, 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 a defined family, if you will. And he's like, guys, there's this dude hanging out with you and he's a part of your family. He claims to be a part of your family. And he is, it's, the issue is not him just messing up and like, hey, he's bringing our image down. It's not, hey, he's not playing by the rules. It's, hey, his body is going to, he, he is going to die eternally separated from God. You need to remove him. He says, in fact, I'll read it in just a minute. He says, you need to remove him because what he's doing in your church is actually going to spread like a cancer throughout your church family, your church body. Look what the Bible says. It says in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, a little bit of yeast leavens the whole lump? A little bit of yeast goes a long way. On, uh, during the school year, it seems like most Friday nights or Fridays, my family goes off. They, got, they do their little homeschool co-op thing or whatever and and all the kids are gone, my wife, and um, when I come home or I'm around, there's like these, I don't know, three or four big, long, like, loaves of bread on our counter. I don't know what those are. What are those? Those calzones? What, do you, what are those things? They're just like 
bread, but yeah, but you, you like, there's, there's sauce and all kinds of stuff. It's really good afterwards, but they put the yeast in and they're rising all day long, right? And it's amazing when they just, you know, start out just how small they are and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. How many of you have ever made bread or things that rise? You know what yeast I'm talking about? Okay. I'm, honestly, more and more, you know, I'd be the box guy. If my family wasn't doing it, I wouldn't know a thing about yeast. A little bit of yeast goes a long way. So these things get bigger and all of that. What Paul is saying is, look, this person in your church, you not only need to deal with them for loving them, but you need to love everybody else in your church. Because if your church is now accepting and celebrating that, then that is going to spread. That, that level of thinking, that acceptance, that not dealing with sin, that all kinds of stuff, you're not only going to have one person in danger of going to hell and being separated eternally from God, but it's going to spread throughout your whole church body. You should love one another enough to deal with that. That's why in verse 7 he's like, cleanse out that old leaven. Cleanse out that, that sinful habit. When Jesus saves us and changes our life, the whole point of our messed up lives is our sin. It's our decisions to please ourselves and to serve ourselves and to do what we want, the way we want to do it, how we want to do it, when we want to do it, not let anybody tell us what to do. And all of us have gotten into a mess and a world of hurt because of it. And Jesus, the whole point is that he saves us from out of that and we come under his authority. In fact, the number one reason is that people don't trust Christ is not because they can't get their head wrapped around science and believe in a God that's bigger than them. The number one reason people don't trust Christ is they're not willing to put themselves under the authority of another. They're not willing to deal with their sin. They're not willing to deal with that. And so we, as, as when we finally surrender our life to Jesus, we come out from under our own authority and the authority of the world, and we willingly submit ourselves to his authority. And when we live in that messed up world still, what we're saying is, is Jesus, you don't have control. And then we're leading others down that way. And Paul says, guys, as a church family, you need to be accountable to one another. You need to speak in one another's lives. He says, remove that. Remove that, that, that sinful, that is just a mess. I want to hit the pause button here for a second, guys. We're not talking about image management. For a lot of churches, this has become image management over the years. Oh, we want to look like a good church. We don't want... People to think that has gone on in our church family. And there's a tendency of covering over. Church has been doing that stuff for years, long before, uh, long before Hollywood or government or whatever. Guys, we're all sinful. We're all sinful people. We should expect from one another, we're going to be doing some things that are not cool. The issue is not trying to keep our image pristine. The issue is, is are we dealing with one another what we should be, loving one another enough to speak truth into our lives to one another, to give and to receive that. And Paul says, remove that, deal with it, get rid of that cancer. He says in verse 7, he goes on, he says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and of evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here's what he's saying. Guys, Jesus died on the cross. He takes all of this and he goes right back. That when you and I live a life of sin, whatever we're professing about Jesus, our life is opposite. And he says, 
Jesus died for us. He died on that cross sacrificially. He is the lamb, that celebration. The Jews, whenever they would celebrate Passover, they would sweep all of the leaven out of their homes and they would eat no, no, no leavening, no yeast rising in their bread. And we don't have time to talk about all of the history and that. We'll save that for Exodus and a whole other passage, a whole other sermon series. But what he goes back to is he says, guys, you're making a mockery of Jesus. The whole point for us to live a changed life is because Jesus has died. He doesn't just save you from your sins. He doesn't just forgive you from that. He doesn't just remove the stigma or the shame or the embarrassment or even the guilt. He does all of that, but he says, Jesus died to save us, to change our life now. Not just one day make us better, but today to make our lives different. Jesus has died. So you see, when we hold one another accountable, we're showing that love to that person when we have a motivation of loving them and speaking to their life. When we do it the right way, and we'll talk about that in a minute, we're showing love to the larger family, the church at large, the local body, and we're ultimately showing love, we're honoring Christ. Because when we allow this level of sin in our lives, in our midst, we're basically thumbing our nose at God and we're just saying, Jesus, it doesn't matter that you died for sin. We're just going to do our own thing. We dishonor him. And so accountability, guys, is a gift. I wonder, the woman that I mentioned in Maine, I wonder if she wishes the first time she had done that, I wish somebody would have said something to me. I wish. Oh, I wouldn't be nearly in this much of a mess if somebody was have spoken to me sooner. How many of you in your past, don't, don't go into details, obviously not sharing, but wish that somewhere along the way somebody would have thrown a red flag up for you and just said, hey, you're going down the wrong road here. Like, this might not be a good idea. I, I do. There's been times I wish I'd have been caught and checked, you know, and said, hey, Sean, you know, you need to think about that, right? Because we go through life and we don't see so accountability is a gift. It's a gift of love. Secondly, it's a gift of love when it's done in love. The Bible tells us that we are to love one another. That doesn't mean just putting a happy smile on your face and a hug and a handshake and baking meals for somebody when they need it or helping them do some work. Accountability is actually one of the most purest, when it's done right, the most purest forms of love because it's purely for the other person's benefit. It's not for you. There's definitely not for your own judgment to look smarter or holier than the other person. It's because you love them and you care about where they are. It's a, a gift that we should give and we should do it in love. We don't have time to talk about how to do this in the church. Matthew 18 talks about how to do this. Um, when you see this level of sin in a person's life, the first thing is there should be an individual conversation with that person. You don't announce it and post it on Facebook. Hey, did you see what so-and-so did? I can't believe that. Somebody needs to go talk to them. I mean, that's obviously dumb, right? You have a private conversation. There's a general rule of thumb. Private sins you deal privately. Public sins you deal publicly. This one was very public, so Paul went straight to DEFCON 1 or whatever. I always get them reversed if 3 is the bigger one or 1 is. But, but you go right to the top level. They dealt with it publicly. Why? Because it was out there and everybody knew about it. It just needed to be dealt with. But when sin happens privately, 
It needs to be dealt with privately. I'm not talking about criminal sin now, guys. I'm not talking about underage sexual abuse with children. That's not just sin, that's criminal. And that needs to be, authorities need to be involved with that. We're not talking about just, oh, we're just going to have this little private conversation and deal with that. I'm sorry, as a church, that involves a whole other level of engagement that needs to happen, right? But I'm talking about stuff like this. It was not against the law to sleep with your, your mother, your stepmom. But it certainly was immoral, certainly not cool, certainly not right, I think. Please tell me by today's standards, that's a little off, right? Even in the world around us? Yeah, okay. A um, little off. So, if there's a private sin, we deal privately. And if they don't listen, Matthew 18 says, then take two or three people, kind of up the ante, so that they will hear. And if in the church setting they don't hear the two or three, then the church is to weigh in and to speak into that. And the whole goal all the while is for their restoration. I want you to see that, guys. The goal is not to just slap somebody. The goal is not just poke somebody in the face. The goal is to see the reality that you're making a disaster of your life. Disaster. This maybe would be the closest thing, I guess, in our culture around us. This would be like a spiritual intervention. Is that what this would be, the closest thing? You know, we, we, the world around us thinks they figured all this stuff out, but to be honest with you, God had this way long ago. It's like, hey, go speak to somebody and deal with it. Deal with it in love with a motivation of restoration. It needs to be done out of that, that heartfelt concern of love for them. Speak to them. Love them. So, when you and I, when we hold others accountable in this way, I guess there's two ways that we can do this. Accountability in the church. Think, think about it this way. There's an indirect way that we hold one another accountable, and there's a direct way. We've been talking about the direct way. But the indirect way is this. You and I model for one another what our life is supposed to be like. We do that, right? If you ever want to learn something from somebody else, you do it the way they do it. Well, how are we supposed to live as men and women in our life as a Christian? How many of you trusted Christ as an adult? How many of you maybe later on really surrendered your life to Christ? Hands high, so everybody can look around. So, big, big group, right? That means most of us didn't live a life, and probably many of you didn't grow up in a home where Jesus was lived out, you know, where your faith was lived out appropriately. So, you learned, in essence, how to live accountably as a, a Christian man and woman by watching others around you. Little pause button here, by the way. Parents, you got to hold your kids accountable. And if you didn't grow up in a Christian home where that was lived out effectively, you need to go back to the Bible and see what the Bible says about raising kids. And you need to talk to some older Christian parents and see how to do that. That's accountability because we're learning from one another. That's indirect accountability where it's, you know, the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron. So one man's countenance or face sharpens another. Indirect. This is direct. This is like when it's gone way too far, it, it's gone off the rails, like, okay, modeling's not going to work. We've got to talk directly. And we do it in love, out of care for that individual. Third thing, and I'm done. Not only is it done, a gift of love when it's done in love, but it's for those for whom we love. 
We don't do this for everybody. Christians can be judgmental. Hello? We really can. We can be judgmental in the world around us. Do, do we, I hear a little baby crying, do we, do we expect babies to cry? Yeah, the answer to that is yes. Yes. We expect babies to go in their diapers. Yes. It's what they do. Do we expect the world around us, apart from Jesus in their life, to live a messed up, crazy life? The answer to that is yes. Why should we be shocked about it? Why should we act like they're just so ridiculously messed up? We were that way too until Jesus, and we still struggle with those things, if we're being really honest. We shouldn't be shocked about that. But this accountability doesn't mean that I'm going to go right next door to Tractor Supply and the first thing that I see somebody do wrong, hey, I love you enough to hold you accountable. Let me tell you right now where you're wrong, right? We don't do that for everybody, right? We're not supposed to do that. Who's Paul talking about here? Well, look at verse, look at verse 9. He says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people. Paul wrote an earlier letter. He's like, guys... Quit being BFFs, you know, best friends forever with people whose lives are off the rail sexually. By the way, when the Bible talks about sexual immorality in this term, it's talking about, in God's definition, about sexual relationships, but outside of a husband and wife, married, born that way scenario. It, this is the general, generic term for everything. It could involve pornography. It would involve somebody going to a strip club. It would involve an affair on the side. It, it could involve 16-year-olds having you know, in the back parking lot of the high school. It's everything in, uh, under the sun. And he says, guys, I wrote to you in a letter earlier to like stop. You're not supposed to be giving your life to those individuals. All right, we'll talk about that a little bit more, what that means and how that plays out. He says in verse 10, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. It's like, guys, I didn't mean that you're supposed to live in a convent monastery and only supposed to talk to people who have their lives perfectly together because you're, you're going to work with people. You, like, come on, I didn't mean that you don't, don't talk to them and don't live with them. I'm not saying don't even reach out to them and don't become friends with them. What he's saying is, is don't become such best friends that you're giving of your life and your life is following their life. That's not what, don't go down that road. But here he goes a little bit further. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. That's key. He's talking about this is what we do with those who claim Christians and our family. That person... If he is guilty of sexual, he gives a very specific list, sexual immorality, or greed, oh my goodness, or an idolater, or a reviler, somebody who's just full of hate and cursing and just hacking and criticism all the time, just as bad as sexual immorality, drunkard, somebody who has a tendency to just drink that they're getting drunk, they don't have to be falling down drunk all the time, but just not under control, just impaired. Or a swindler, somebody that's cheating others, cheating the system. Not even to eat with such a one. When eating in that culture was everything. Fellowship, relationship, Lord's Supper was in, connected with this. Not worshiping together. 
So here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, as a church, you're supposed to give of yourselves to one another closer than we do just out there. He's saying, it's okay if you relate to, in fact, by the way, Jesus told us, he sent us out to live our lives amongst people that are lost and messed up. Jesus sent the apostles out and the disciples out. He's not talking about that. Many Christian churches have reversed this and they've made churches into little monasteries and little cultures where like, oh, we got to be separate from everybody around us. Yeah, we're to live separately together, but we're to be in the world sharing the gospel, living that out, modeling that, I'm mixing it up with the world. So in fact, he would say, I wish most Christians had more lost friends or hanging out with more lost people, more people that need Jesus. But in that, be wise. Be, be wise. You don't need to go down into the depths of the holes where the sinfulness is going on. If your buddies are getting tanked at the bar, you don't need to be going to the bar with them that night. Like, they're getting sloshed down drunk, you're going to have a hard time modeling Jesus for them as you're sipping your Coke or whatever you're doing or your one glass of wine. He's saying, don't avoid that scene. Don't, don't associate so deeply and don't make your, your inclusiveness of such a level as a church that you just are losing all gospel focus, you know, all holiness. But instead, live in the world, reach out to the world, but know as a church family, you need to love one another to hold one another accountable when it comes to these things. Notice he doesn't give us a list of 30 things. He doesn't. It's a very finite list. There's like five or six things here. Somebody that has a continual habit of sexual sins. Love them through it. Help them through it. Process with it. Help them be accountable. Help them to grow through that. Help them. Love them. Deal with those. If there's somebody who's is dealing with alcoholism and, and dealing with drug addiction. Walk with them through that. Paul is dealing when he says remove this person. He's talking about somebody that's gone off the cliff and off the rails and everybody's just like celebrating. He's like, look, cut the cancer out, be done with it. But so that they can experience the judgment of sin through Satan's direct hand in their life so that ultimately they will see the mistakes of their ways and they will turn to Jesus and their soul may be saved at the day of judgment, that they can stand before God forgiven and pure. So help individuals grow, help them through that process. So guys, as a church, there probably will come a time where we will, as a church body, have to have some hard conversations. I hope not. I pray not. But I know that's the reality of life. Some of the hardest things that I've ever had to do is help walk with individuals through, through affairs, individually and privately. I'm not thinking of our church now. I'm, I'm thinking other churches. Thankfully, I've pastored more than one church, <laughs> so I can let the innocent remain innocent. Um, painful. Helping walk through those process. Does God forgive our one sin? You bet. You bet. Does God even forgive our two and three sins? Absolutely. But he expects us to grow through it and get accountability with it. So you and I know that 
we struggle with that. And if you've got some sin that you're really struggling with, I just tell you, you're probably not going to get over it on your own. You're probably going to need somebody to hold you accountable. Somebody to speak into your life. Somebody to help you with Scripture. And if you don't, the nature of all sin is to escalate. It's to get worse and worse and worse. So ask for that accountability privately. Because when you do go off the rails and it becomes public and it becomes the whole standard and normalcy for your life, Paul says the time comes as a church, we've got to speak about this and deal with it more openly. And that's no fun for you. That's no fun for the church body. That's no fun for anybody. So love one another enough to hold accountable. None of us are above this. In fact, I didn't even talk about 1 Timothy. Pastors, when they fall into sin, it goes right to public. Pastors are held to a higher level of accountability than church family. Why? Because we're in a place of responsibility and leadership. There is, there don't, they don't have the benefit of that staying private. You know, if I were somehow, this, I think this is impossible, at least with our system, like I don't ever touch the money in our church or anything, but if I somehow was swindling and skimming off money out of the offering plates, that should never be dealt with privately. It should immediately go public, immediately according to 1 Timothy. So this is, this is all of us. Have you ever seen, like, think about like a parent who has a child that's played in the mud and just filthy. When that kid wants to come inside, the parent immediately wants to clean them up. Don't touch my new floors, my new carpets. The parent should do it because they love them, not because they're annoyed. By the way, it's healthy for kids to play in mud. I'm a little old school. Video games are great, but go get dirty once in a while, okay? That's good too for you. It's good to get dirty. It's good to get cleaned up. Boop. And a parent should love the kid enough to do that. That should be our heart for one another. Because we're going to get into the mud, guys. Hopefully it's not falling down in the pigsty, laying in the mud. That's where this guy was. Hopefully it's just we step in a little something that needs a little cleaning off. That's what we should be as a church. Accountability is a gift of love. So I don't know what's in your heart this morning. God does. I don't know what part of this you needed to hear. God does, and I hope you do. Is there somebody in your life that God has been bumping you through this, that you've been coming to your mind that you need to speak to and love enough to talk with? Or maybe you're there saying, uh-oh, I think I'm the one that needs to be some accountability. Or maybe somebody has spoken to you, trying to help you, and you just blew them off when you got mad, defensive. That's what we do, because we don't like accountability. But whichever of those that's going on in your life would you respond in your heart to what God is doing and saying? And if you're that guy that, or that woman that made a profession, made a commitment, prayed a prayer at some point in your life, or maybe you went to church most of your life and always believed in God, but you know your life does not at all line up with what the Bible says, you need to realize all of that sin... It's just evidence that the real problem is is you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. That's where this guy was. He never really was, had trusted Christ. I urge you to surrender your life to Jesus. Trust Him to forgive you and save you. And when He does, 
He pulls you. He changes your desires, and he pulls you out of that stuff. Like when this guy finally gets his mind and heart right, and by the way, 2 Corinthians, he does. Paul later on tells the church, hey, remember that guy that I told you to remove from your church? Welcome him back with open arms. You're killing the guy. Like he got his life squared away, and he trusted Christ, and he's had enough. Receive him. When you finally surrender your life to Christ and Jesus saves you, then he changes those desires and those inclinations. And he begins giving us more his nature and his desire and his goodness. So whatever God is speaking in your heart this morning, our team, as they come up, think about and respond to God between you and him in your heart, prayerfully, commitment-wise. This is your time, as we've seen this response song, is your time to respond to him. It's your time, if it's, if you feel like singing, sing. If you're this morning saying, I was that guy that needed accountability, and thank God God gave it to me and forgave me, then you sing and rejoice and celebrate. Maybe, but, but maybe God has convicted you, and this morning it's not celebration. It's mourning. It's grief. Then grieve. Pour your heart out to God. Maybe it's the wake-up call. Uh-oh, deer in the headlights. I need some accountability. Make the commitment to talk to somebody, an individual where it will be confidential, that they can help you, that they can kind of clean you off in the back corner, not on display, but just to help you walk closer and deal with some of that. So whatever God has spoken to your heart, respond to Him. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.